good seeing all of you today. And uh, for those who are watching online, we're glad you're with us as well. Um, this, is, this is a great portion of scripture. I hope you'll be hearing what God has to say for you today. And I say that intentionally because um, this is about, really about listening in some ways. It's really about, you know, hearing what God has to say. And um, we're, we're in that place in this uh, series in the book of Hebrews. As the writer has been talking, um, it's been like just one after another, this encouraging word that has come you know, from the Lord, and it's, it's, we, we've titled it just better, because actually that's what it is, it's, it's about Jesus being better, it's about what we have as followers of Christ being better, and, and he talks about Jesus, and how Jesus is a representative of the Father, but he's more than that, he's the image, express image of the Father, and he is the, the second person of the triune Godhead, and he's, He's, he, in our promises that we have are better promises. And Jesus is more, a much more sure word to us. And he's better than the angels. And he is the son of, because he's the son of God. And he's, he's, he gives us a better rest to rest in our faith and to rest our life upon. And he's, he's a better high priest. And he, and he was unpacking that, the writer was, about this better and, and this high priest. And, and he comes to a guy that he um, actually expounds upon. And his name is Melchizedek. And Melchizedek shows up in the scripture. And basically it's, it's just three verses. His whole life, this guy Melchizedek, who becomes a big deal in the scriptures. Really his whole story is three verses. And he meets Abraham, and, uh, and he's a, a high priest of, of uh, Jerusalem. Salem is referred to. And we don't have that much. It's just very short, very, very little to go upon. But then the psalmist picks it up and says that the Messiah will be a priest in the order of Melchizedek. And now the writer of Hebrews takes 32 verses to explain three. And expounds upon it. And, and as he's doing it, he recognizes probably a frustration um, that, that comes. A frustration that the hearers aren't capable of taking the, all this in. They're not mature enough in their understanding of Scripture and their, you know, their faith to really, for him to go deeper into these things because they're not deep enough to receive it. And, uh, and they have, they have a, a hearing problem, basically. H have you ever spoke, you know, we're talking to someone, and then you realize they're not hearing a word I'm saying. It might as well be going blah, 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 blah. Because they're, they're involved, you know. My wife could, uh, she could expound upon that, and I don't give her the opportunity. But, you know... She'll say sometime, well, I told you that. I, said, you, I don't remember you telling me that. Yeah, you were like watching the game and you didn't hear a word I said. Okay, I, 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 I'm guilty. But what the writer is, is at is in this is he has such a desire 
or to just give us or to give them some really incredibly wonderful, deep truths. And, and he's ready to give it to them, but then he realized they won't get it. It'll be like I'm speaking a foreign language to them. They're just not mature enough to get this wonderful things, and they're missing out on so much because they themselves have not been willing to go further than just the, just the, the beginning stages of their faith. And, and so they're not ready learners. They're not those who are listening intently. I, uh, as a pastor, you recognize the, the challenges sometimes. And, of course, you always want to do your best so that you communicate the best that you can to the people listening. You want them to hear, but you don't want them just to hear. You want them to understand what's being, what's being you know, given. And so you try to do your best in that. What I love about this is that it puts more responsibility on the hearer than the teacher. I love that. Because I, I know the challenges, you know. Um, because, you know, when, when, when you're teaching, well, there's a great story that actually uplifts me. It's, it's found in the book of Acts, and it's about a guy named Eteachus. Eteachus was a young man who was listening to Paul the Apostle. And he was on the third floor of a building, uh, and Paul was down preaching, and he was, he was sitting on the, win on the edge of the window, and he was listening. And while Paul was preaching, the scripture said Paul preached for quite a while. And uh, the guy fell asleep. And he fell out of the window. And he died. He died. And Paul resurrected him, right? Um, and, and it always encourages me. And the great Paul the Apostle couldn't keep that guy awake. You know, I feel better. But if any of you fall out. Don't expect me to revive you. I just want you to know that in advance. The, 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 the fact is, there is a, the Bible gives a greater responsibility on the hearer. We have a tendency to want to hear. In fact, we tend to gravitate toward those, and understandably so, those teachers who more keep us awake, you know, who, who maybe inspire us a lot of times. But the... The, the worth of a teacher is not how inspiring they are. It's how much truth is being proclaimed. How much is given that is truly the word of God and proclaiming the word of God. Because you can have the greatest uh, teachers and still people not get anything. I, uh, I love T.D. Jakes. He's a, a really inspiring uh, teacher. I mean, a guy, I don't know if any of you have heard T.D. Jakes, but he gets, uh, he gets people riled up. And when he preaches, people stand and cheer and, and all of that. I was watching one of his sermons one time, and they spanned the audience, audience, and while people were standing and screaming, there were a couple people totally falling asleep in the pew. And I just loved it. I said, T.D. has the same challenge as I do. And, but but the, the writer understands and there are things that pastors and teachers need to do to try to help but there's a an attention problem that we have as we have been trained um in in this generation last couple generations actually 
we've been trained to have about a seven-minute attention span. See, because seven minutes is the time between commercials in TV programs. So you can go for about seven minutes, and then you can you fade out as the commercial comes in, and that is the way it works. It's, it's natural. So a, a teacher has to kind of have that in mind. Every once in a while, he's got to do something to get people's attention. <laughs> Wake them up, then get them, you know, kind of to, to refocus in that. But the Bible puts the responsibility here on the hearer. That you're ready hearers, ready to listen and to hear what's going on. And so the writer says in, in chapter 5, in verse 11, where we start off, he says, talking about Melchizedek, he says, of whom we have much to say. He says, I, I have so much to tell you. I have much to say to you. And hard to explain. I, you, you wouldn't get it. Because this, these, these deep truths take some explanation he says, since you have become dull of hearing. See, in, in not every good message, but every once in a while, at least when you're listening to a message, aren't you listening for that part that kind of stirs your conscience a little bit? You wonder, there's probably going to be a time. I mean, the, 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 the teacher is telling us all these good things, but every once in a while, he should, once in a while at least, say something that challenges your your conscience challenges your life that says, wait, look inside a little bit more. Is there anything that needs to be changed? Is there anything that needs to grow in your life? And this is what he is doing. Quite frankly, it's embarrassing the way he even speaks to them. But it has to be spoken because the problem is they have not grown. They have not matured. And he says... The problem is that you're dull of hearing. You have not grown. He says, verse 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers. And that doesn't mean every believer needs to be a teacher. But every believer needs to be able to transfer truth. Has to be able, has to be capable of transferring truth to others. They have to, we have to be able to feed others, not just be fed ourselves. It says, do you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God? When you ought to be teaching others by now, you, you, you're in need of being taught again the foundational truths. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. I mean, he's basically telling them, listen, grow up. Grow up. Now, those are words... That those are fighting words, right? Those are words you don't want to hear because probably everybody at some point when you were a teenager, you heard those words. You know, grow up. Time to grow up. And you just hated that. I did. When I was in my 40s, I hated it. <laughs> but, but the part, <laughs> don't laugh at that. that yeah. That's serious stuff. Now, the, the point simply is this, that he's telling them, you're babies, you're still babies. You're still on the milk. You are not capable of, of taking in solid food. You have come to need milk and not solid food. See, you need the soft stuff. You can't even chew good food. You can't even chew a steak. There's a, there's a, there's a limit to the conversation that I'm able to have. 
I, um, I, I have one of my many grandchildren, um, my, the two-year-old. I have a two-year-old who, um, he's really sharp. He's really smart. I know my grandchildren are the smartest, but I just wanted to, he's, he's, he's real sharp, and he is always, he's constantly learning. And so when he comes over, I'll talk to him in adult language, and when he comes, and when I come to a word that he doesn't understand, he'll repeat it several times. He'll say it back, and he's learning it, you see, and I'll try to explain, or I'll, I'll see something, and I'll show him, and then he'll say it. You don't have to tell him. He's, he's just processing. But there are a lot of things I can't talk to him about. He's two years old. I can't talk to him about politics, you know. I can't talk to him about economics. I can't talk to him about the intricacies of sports. We'll be watching maybe a, a baseball game, and, and I can't tell him, you know, the best pitch right now, I think, is a slider low inside because he's been working the outside corner. He will just stare at me. It is, you know, that I can't, we can't have those kind of conversations. I can't talk to him about theology, not very deep, because he's two. I hope when he's 42, those conversations are able to be con conveyed. There are a lot of people spiritually, they're still two-year-olds, spiritually. They haven't grown, is he's saying. There, there's a problem it's kind of embarrassing the way, as you're reading it, who he's, who he's writing to. It's embarrassing that he's telling them, you have not grown up. You're immature. He says, for everyone who partakes only in milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Now, this word of righteousness, he's saying, you stop being babies. Stop it. Mil milk is elementary stuff. Problem with babies is they only think about themselves. B babies, uh, you know, th their desire, they desire the, what they want now. That's all that matters. The now is what matters. It isn't, about it isn't about tomorrow. It isn't about later on in the day. It isn't about anything. They don't even think what's best for themselves. They only think what they want for themselves now. I mean, they would easily eat, you know, like one of my daughters did without us knowing it, four bananas in a row. I wonder why she had a stomach ache. The, 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 the problem is babies don't really, they're not mature enough to know what to do, what to, decisions to make. They don't, they're not able to discern things. He says in verse 14, but solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those whose by reason of use have their senses exercised. Everybody say exercised. exercised. That's good, because it's been about seven minutes. I want to keep you. <laughs> exercised to discern both good and evil. Everyone, he says, let your senses be exercised to discern both good and evil. See, babies are gullible. They, 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 they'll, they'll believe stuff easily. They'll, they'll believe fantasy. The problem with babies is what oftentimes they are toddlers at the point. They start seeing things. They think everything's real. They doesn't, don't know that Mickey Mouse is not real. Everything's real. 
Discernment has to be honed. Not just between right and wrong, as, but as Spurgeon says, between right and almost right. That discernment has to be, has to be discerned by growing in truth and eating more than just milk, getting beyond the foundations, the groundwork. And, and there's, there's a problem because the church today, much of the church lives on milk. Much of the sermons, and, I, and I don't, I'm not trying to pick on anybody particular, but there's a reason why very few places really do sections of Scripture and go through and teach it. That oftentimes, that there's, and there's nothing wrong with topical messages, but when all there is is, is, is feel-good topics that keep coming up, and there's nothing of the solid truth or meat of God's word, then people don't grow. And they, because they don't grow, they become vulnerable. The, their discernment, they don't grow in discernment. An example, and several years ago, we'll go back a few years, so um, hopefully nobody feels like I'm picking on anybody. But there were several people I remember, you, some of you remember, um, that came up to me and said, Pastor, you've got to read this book. It's called The Shack. And, and it's really, really good. And uh, by the way, I don't know anybody who said that to me. I don't remember who they are, so you can relax if you were one of those. But they, they said, you've got to read this. This is so good. And so I read it. And as I'm reading it, I'm, I'm going, there's just some stuff that kind of tweaked me. It just doesn't seem right. The, the way that God is betrayed, just it's not, it's not a full picture. There's some, some things missing. It, it kind of feels, it's kind of a feel-good thing, but it just doesn't feel right. You know why? Because I have a heightened discernment of God's, because of God's word in me. And I can, I, I, I can see things that they might, it's not between right and wrong, it's between right and almost right. That same writer exposed himself clearly because later on, William Paul Young wrote this. He wrote the book, Lies That We Believe About God. And in that book, he exposes that he believes that the cross, that Jesus going to the cross was a mistake. That Jesus didn't die for the sins of the world. That people actually don't need a savior because they're all pretty much okay. There's no eternal judgment. We'll talk about that as just a foundational truth that the Bible says. And that everybody's just fine. Just as long as they kind of have this idea of God's love. And that's really all that really is missing in the world. So what I was discerning about the shack was true. Even though it didn't expose everything, there was enough. And you learn things. Listen, folks, there are a lot of things that are almost true. That are deceiving a world today. We have a problem in the Church of America today. And the, the Church of America has a, has a real difficulty with a liberal Christianity. It's, a, it's actually the term that's used is progressive Christianity. It sounds like the term, and I said it last week, the term of a, 
a, a political term, but it's, it's a, this is not relating to political issue, though it does tie in in many ways. But this, this progressive Christianity is, well, it's almost true. And, and what you find out about this progressive Christianity, it's not anything new. It's actually been around for a long time. See, when Jesus was, was, um, was you know, dealing with religious people that were speaking falsehood, almost truth in, in some cases, they, he was dealing with the Pharisees and he was dealing with the Sadducees. The Pharisees of his day were the legalists. They were the religious legalists. They, they added to the scripture. That's what legalists do. So the Bible will say one thing and then they'll add to it. See? And so as the Bible says, you know, you're to keep the Sabbath holy and Jesus on the Sabbath went into the, into the temple, you know, area or, or David did and, and he used that illustration because they said he's working on the Sabbath and what, he's doing, what is he doing on the Sabbath to work? He's healing people. And they say you can't do that. Well, the Bible doesn't say that. All they did were add. They kept adding things. They would add things to the law. They'd bind people up by adding to God's word. That was one group of people. The other group of people were the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees were those who were the progressives of the day. They weren't adding to the word. They were taking away from the word. So if the word says this, it really doesn't mean that. They didn't believe in the resurrection, although the Bible was clear about the resurrection. And, 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 and that, that this has been a truth that goes all the way back to the time of Job. The oldest book in the Bible is the, is the book of Job. It's not Genesis. Moses wrote about an earlier time, but Moses wrote it after Job. Job was a contemporary of Abraham. And you know what Job, Job said? He says, I know my Redeemer lives. And on that day... He will stand on the earth. And though my flesh be, shall be destroyed with my eyes, I will see God. What is that? Resurrection. Though my flesh be destroyed with my eyes, my Redeemer's coming back. I will see him. He will stand on the earth. From the earliest time, the, 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 belief, the followers of God have always believed and, and trusted in the resurrection. The Sadducees went against it. The philo philosophical view of the day was the Stoics and the Epicureans. The Stoics were kind of the legalists, and the Epicureans were the progressives of the day. Today we have the same thing. It has not changed. From the earliest time, the church had to deal with both the legalists and the progressives of the day. Those who added to the, to the word of God and those who took away from God's word. And today we have the same thing. We have those who claim that, that, that basically we are missing it because we're kind of stuck in tradition. They use that. You, you'll hear that word. Well, you, 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 those of you, are, you're just stuck in tradition. Jesus talked against tradition. No, he didn't. He did talk about against tradition, the tradition that left the word of God. 
He said, you leave the word of God for the traditions of men. That's a tradition that, God, that Jesus says, I'm against. And that's tr the tradition that has been going on for generations. There are all, always those who will leave the word of God and buy in to the tradition of men. It is a compromise. It is a compromise of the truth of God only to buy into the culture of the day. And it always goes along with the culture of the day, whatever it is. And so God says, and the, the word says, the problem is the lack of discernment because people don't know God's word. There are still babies on the milk. And notice he says this. He says, therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on. Now, when he says leaving, he's not saying that you don't need it anymore. He's saying this. He says the elementary principles, their foundation, they're extremely important. You have to have them. You build a foundation. But you don't build a foundation and go, do you love my house? Isn't it a beautiful house? No, you got to build the house. You got to do the whole thing. You can't just build a foundation. And you can't just keep building on foundation. I mean, what kind of place is that? That the whole thing is just a giant foundation. No, you have to build, you build the foundation, then you've got to build upon it. See, so the leaving is not leaving and you don't, it, it's not important anymore. He's saying you don't keep, have to keep coming back to that. You need to settle that. What are the things we need to settle so we can move on? And, and immature, people who are still on the milk, they're still kind of trying to, they're, they're, they keep coming back to it. The first two, he says, have to do with salvation. He says, repentance from dead works, repentance and faith toward God. Repentance from dead works, especially for a Hebrew, they were trying, that, that was the works that were, they weren't, weren't going to produce anything. They never have. And now they have an opportunity to put their faith and their trust fully in Christ and rest in him, and they keep going back to the dead works. For us, it's the same thing. Sometimes it's patterns in our life we need to get over. Patterns of, of sinfulness that we just, we need to be, move beyond that. We need to move into the fullness of God's salvation in our life. And faith toward God. And we settle that. We talked about that last week, about resting, right? Resting in, in our salvation. It's done. It's settled. Jesus died for me. He was buried. He rose again. He paid it completely. It is finished. Today I can rest in that. I don't have to keep going back and wondering if I'm saved. When I first came to Christ, you know, there, there's, there's a, an ignorance about my salvation. And so I remember, although things started to change in my life, but the very first time I, I responded and the pastor had asked, hey, listen, if you want Christ in your life, come down and, and accept Jesus. And I did. And and then the next week, he says, if anybody wants to be saved, come down and, and, uh, and, and receive Christ. And I did. And the next week, he did that. And I did that about, about three months. I was getting saved every week. Because I didn't know. I, I wasn't settled in it. I didn't understand fully. All I knew is I wanted whatever Jesus had for me. And I had been born again. I could feel the change in my life. But I was ignorant about I'm still on the milk. You see? Some people, you've never grown past that. You're still not sure if you're saved. You're still not settled. 
in the fact that Jesus paid it fully. You still not have attached your faith fully to the, the confidence that Jesus has done that. And so you still have this in your heart. You're always going back. You know, am I really saved? Am I, you know, I, I, I sinned here. Am I really saved? Am I, God, am I really forgiven? Is Jesus really my sa- Savior? And you, you don't grow. You're just back to the foundation. And, and you don't have discernment because of that. And then he says, and the doctrine of baptism. Now I want you to notice it says baptisms, not baptism. There's actually three. There's a spiritual, physical, and a supernatural. I guess say it that way. There's different ways you can identify them. The, the first one, well, the, first, the, the, the second one most everybody knows, and that's water baptism. Every Christian should be water baptized. We take you over to the, to, and, and whatever we use, we use a jacuzzi. And uh, you guys don't know afterward, we all jump. No, I'm not, we don't know. But, um, and we, we dunk you. You go under and you come back up. And the reason for that is because that baptism is a sign of the first baptism you have. The first baptism ha- happens when you accept Christ as your Savior. When that happens, you are united with Jesus Christ. And so his death, burial, and resurrection is applied to your life. See, you have died and you have risen with him. So when you go in water baptism, it is an outward sign of something that has already taken place in your heart. That's why we dunk you. What? That's, that's death. You go under. You're buried. And then we raise you up because you have new life in Jesus. It didn't happen on the day you were baptized in water. It happened on the day that you put your faith in Jesus Christ. That was the first baptism. Baptism into the body of Christ. Water baptism. A, a, an outward showing that you, you have that faith and you have trusted in Christ. And then the third one is the baptism with the Holy Spirit that Jesus said to the disciples, you wait and you'll receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What the Father has promised, what I what I bring to you, Jesus baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. That we receive the Holy Spirit at salvation. We are immersed in the Holy Spirit in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Those three. Now the early these guys, they knew an, of another baptism that wasn't part of being a Christian. The baptism for a Jew was the uh, was was uh, the the transference from a pagan religion into Judaism. It was the way that they were proselytized. They were baptized. If you were a Gentile and you wanted to come into Judaism, you were baptized. They baptized you into that. So when John the Baptist called for this baptism of Jews, that was a complete shock. Because that was the baptism of of repentance. And he was telling them, you know, I know you say Abraham's your father, but but you, you know, you have a problem. You declare that, but you're living a life that is contrary. And so they would gather for baptism. But the baptisms of the Christian is baptism into the body of Christ, baptism of water, and baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he says, and of the resurrection of the dead. Why do you have to come back? Because, well, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. And they would, do you have to keep coming back to the fact that you're going to be raised from the dead? Do you, have, do you have to keep coming back to the fact that Jesus actually conquered death? It should be settled by now, he's saying. 
As long don't you don't you know, don't you know all these people saw the resurrected Jesus after he died? He walked with them, lived with them, ate with them. Then he, they saw him ascend into heaven. Have you, are you still struggling with this? Jesus rose from the dead. Are you struggling with the fact that what, will I rise from the dead? Well, if you're in Christ, you will. And, and it's very clear in God's word. You know, he that rose Christ from the dead will quicken your mortal body. You will rise from the dead as well. Resurrection is, is assured for the believer. Are you going to keep having to go back to that? Grow beyond that. An eternal judgment. There is an eternal judgment. Just as there is an eternal heaven, there is an eternal hell. In fact, the same word eternal that is used for heaven is the same word eternal that is referring to eternal judgment. So if you say eternal judgment is not really eternal, then you cannot say that eternal heaven is eternal. Eternal life is eternal. And this is a, a tough, a, a, a tough, you know, word to swallow. It's difficult, but it is God's truth. And there are those today who, this is foundational, this is basic, but because the church is still drinking milk, it's easily deceived by those who say, well, it's not really that way. And they, they, they base it upon the view that God is love, and we would agree with that. Love so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish. Whosoever believes in him will not perish. And then he goes, and this we will do if God permits. So he's saying take courage. You have to decide. Are you going to grow or not? What? Your, your choice on growing. Now let me close with two things I want to tell you about spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is this. First of all, I say what it's not. Spiritual maturity is not about how much we know. It's not in your notes. It's not going to be on, on the overhead. But spiritual maturity is not how much you know. It's about how much we believe and thus do. Say that again. Spiritual maturity is not about how much you know. You can know a lot. It's about how much you believe, which then produces action. Thus do. It's how much you believe, thus do. Jesus said it this way, if you love me, keep my commandments. I mean, you won't say it. Action speaks louder than words in the kingdom of God. And so the mature person understands that it's not just information, it's application of God's word in my life. That brings maturity, that brings growth in our life. It's growth if we do it. See? When my, when, when my, my teenager doesn't just say, I know I need to you know, clean my room, I know I need to brush my teeth, right? No, it's when they clean the room and they brush, brush their teeth or they do their chores or whatever. That's maturity. When they're starting to actually do the things they know they're supposed to do. Maturity. It's, here's the other thing about maturity. It's a never-ending process. You keep maturing. 
you, it's, it's, a, it's a continuous process. It's not, you, you don't actually get fully to the place because you always have more to grow in your life. Now, here's the thing about maturity. You can mature spiritually at different speeds, but there is a top speed. You know, they say actually in, uh, in, in science that the top speed within the universe is the speed of light. You know, they say that's the, that, that is. But there's actually things that go faster. In fact, they say the universe is expanding faster than the speed of light. So there's things that actually go faster than the speed of light. But let's say that's the top end, you know. When it comes to growth, there's a top end. You, you can't be a two-year-old and all of a sudden the next day be a 40-year-old spiritually mature, right? It doesn't, it, you can't. But some kids will go faster than other kids. Some kids will grow up faster than other kids. Some kids will grow, you know, will go quick, quicker and stop. So there's different rates of speed of maturity with inside the, the maximum speed limit of maturity. Let's call it that. And you can mature really slow. And you, or you can speed up the process if you so choose. And that's an, a choice matter for us. Now here's a question. I, it's the most important question I'm asking today. This is it. Are you growing or are you going backwards? And if you say, I'm kind of leveling off, no, you aren't. You can't. This is the way the kingdom works. You're either growing or you're going backwards. It's like going, it's like rowing upstream in a slow moving river. The, the river or the stream is going slow. So if you row, you'll, go, go, you'll be moving forward. But if you stop, you'll always be going backward. And that's where, what, is, what, what is happening in your life. You're either rowing up and you're going upstream. Or you're going backwards. Now, the way you grow, the way you grow is that you take God's word in and you live it out. You keep maturing. You keep learning. You keep understanding. You keep doing God's word. But it isn't, it, it doesn't happen. The most effective way that this happens is it's a daily process of growing. You mature as you, you do it on a consistent basis. It's the consistency that gets you further faster. It isn't the big you know, the big times of, of doing. It's kind of like a person who works out. Any of you work out with weights? Do, do any of you like once a month, you just decide you're going to work out once a month. But listen, because you haven't worked out all month, you're going to go really at it. I mean, you're going to make up for it, right? So you stack on the weights and you, you know, you run. You don't just run, you know, your normal one or two or three miles or whatever. You run a marathon. You come back. You pack up the weights. You do your squats. I mean, you max out on everything. That won't help you grow at all. That just causes you a lot of pain. That doesn't work that way, right? What works is a consistent plan. And, and it really, the, the best plans isn't that you're always maxing out. What, it, what really matters is that you're consistent in what you're doing. 
It's the same thing spiritually. The, the, the consistency is what makes it. You, you take and you open God's word daily and you have conversation with the Lord and you memorize scripture and it's, it's, just, it's just a consistent time with God every day and then all of a sudden, you know, I looked at the suitor's little guy this morning. I hadn't seen him in a few weeks and I went, it looked like, I felt like I haven't seen him in a year. He's grown up. But just, you know, these little guy just growing up. That's what will happen. That, that, you, you get God's word in consistently. You're going you're gonna to grow. You're going you're gonna to mature. You're, and, 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 and it'll be noticed. And instead of being the person who is spoon-fed, and I so value our time together as teaching God's word, I hope I give you some good food to eat. I hope I'm giving you a mixture. You can have some milk and you can have some steak. But the fact is that once a week will not sustain you. But if you'll take God's word, you start eating God's word. Pretty soon you'll go, you know, I instead of some milk, I think I'll have some good baby food. And then, you know, maybe maybe I'll try a sandwich. And pretty soon, you're on the stake of God's word. And I know for you vegetarians, that doesn't sound so good. So maybe a good mm, uh, vegetable dish. <laughs> Whatever it might be. And you're eating, you're learning things, and things will pop up. And God can teach you because you built on a, this foundation of, that you've grown. And and things you you'll re this is what happens. This is how you all of a sudden you'll be reading something and you go, oh, I see how that connects with this. And oh wow, Lord, that's amazing. Oh, you'll be reading this and you go, that's prophetic. I, you're talking about the future. You're talking about that's what's happening right now. I can see it in front of me, and you start seeing how it relates to your life. And how it affects you in the way you think and process things and the decisions. It affects you. You look at it and you go, all of a sudden your faith has grown. You'll be challenged with things that normally you would just be worrying to death. You'd just be so, I mean, all you can do is think about it and worry about it. And all of a sudden now your faith rises up and you say, man, I can, I'm trusting God in this. I, I'm praying and casting my cares and walking in faith. Because you have the security of God's word. That's so the writer would be asking them, and through that I ask you, are you ready to grow? Are you ready to grow? Let's grow in God. What a great opportunity we have. Let, then then let, let God's word because God, like the writer of Hebrews, who so wants to tell these, give them something special, give them deep truth, the Holy Spirit wants to do that. Is waiting for many of us to just grow a little bit so he can give us these deep, incredible truths of God's word. Let's pray. If you're far from God today, whether you're watching online or here in the building, you can, you can say yes to Jesus today. If you've not given your life to Christ, 
the foundation can be built right now. And you just, it's very simple. First of all, you just have to come to Christ and you just say, Lord, I come to you and believe that you did die on the cross for my sins and you were buried and you conquered death. So Jesus, I believe that. And I believe, Jesus, that you died for my sins. So I ask you, would you cleanse my soul right now? Take away all my sin from my life. Lord, I believe that your death is sufficient. You, it was enough. And so I rest in that. I put my faith in you as my Savior. I ask you to cleanse my soul. And I choose you, and I choose to follow you from now on. Lord, help me. Help me to follow you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Listen, we, we're going to uh, receive the communion. If you would like to have communion, um, you don't have to, but if you would like to, as they, they go by and, and have, hand out the communion, um, just hold it and we'll take it together. And uh, so let's lift our hearts in worship uh, while the communion is being passed out, okay?
we take communion. You know why we take communion? Because Jesus told us to, right? He told us to take communion. This is, this is an ordinance that God wants us to do. And he, he's, he wants us to do it in remembrance, that we remember something. And so we take the bread first, and we're remembering the body sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He physically died on the cross. It wasn't a spiritual thing. It was physical. His physical body was beaten. His physical body was hung on the cross. Suffered greatly as a result. You know why? Banana cream pie. No, I'm... Why? Because it's a resurrection of the body. Jesus died. Listen, God has given us a body. We will have a body forever. It, might, it won't be the deteriorating one. It'll be a lot like what Jesus had when he rose and he walked through buildings. He popped into place. But he could eat. That's why I say banana cream pie. He had senses. The senses will be there because of the resurrection that Jesus paid for. And we'll sit at a table with him. Because in his resurrected body, he sat and ate with the disciples. We'll sit at a table with him and feast. A true resurrection. Resurrection not just spiritually, but physically. Because, well, what this bread represents, the sacrifice that he made for you and me. So we break it in remembrance of his body being broken. Not that his, a bone was broken in his body, but he was broken physically, torn down. And he did it for you and me. And we take this with gratefulness and thankfulness. Lord, thank you for what you did for us. Receive. And then he took the cup, which he, he didn't say, that, you know, that it just represents his blood. It represents the new covenant of his blood. No more other sacrifices, just once. Once once and for all. So this blood represents the forgiveness that was paid for your past sins, your present, and your future. It covers it all. We receive. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name.
grateful. Aren't you? Yeah, let's give him praise, church. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. God bless you. God bless you online. Have a good week. We'll see you Wednesday night. My chains are gone. I've been saved.